0: Hello and welcome to Get the Global Energy Transition Podcast. Hello and welcome back to get the Global Energy
1: transition. Energy. Energy.
0: Energy. 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 My name is Lexi, your host for this week's new episode, and today we're talking about a country that I am from, China. For much of the past few decades, China's growth has been fueled by coal, and when it comes to emissions, China is always put under the spotlight. Being the most populated country and the world's major manufacturer, China is unsurprisingly the largest energy consumer and CO2 emitter and domestically, the small crisis put millions of Chinese residents' health under threat. The former Communist Party's official, Chen Ping pointed out back in 2013 that environmental issues are a major cause of social unrest. So to mitigate risks of socioeconomic instability, the Chinese government has since then put tackling pollution and promoting renewable energy on top of the agenda. Today, China has gradually become the global leader in energy transition. It has the largest capacity in many renewable energy technologies, including solar, wind, hydro, geothermal, and biopower. In fact, it has accounted for up to half of global renewable capacity growth for the past five years straight. This boom in renewable energy in China also resonates with the climate targets announced by President Xi Jinping in late 2020. That is one, to peak carbon emissions by 2030, and two, to attain carbon neutrality by 2060. And these are very ambitious goals. China must devote more effort into cutting emissions than developed countries because these goals mean that it's going to achieve carbon neutrality after its emissions peak in the shortest time in global history. So, from apocalypse to carbon cutter, how exactly is China greening its economy? Well, we'll start today by looking at the largest renewable power source in China, hydropower. Hydropower is a big industry, and Chinese hydropower companies are leading by far the lion's share of this market, up to 70%. Last year, hydro generated almost 20% of total electricity in China. If you know a bit about the Chinese culture, you'll probably notice the centrality of rivers in the shaping of China's civilization, its national character and status society. We've all heard of the Yangtze River, which has long served as China's vital commercial artery. Nearly one third of the country's population lives in the Yangtze region, and it yields about 45% of China's GDP. 70% of total domestic hydropower generation comes from this region as well. Modern China has turned to hydropower to meet more of its energy demands and it famously built the world's largest hydroelectric station, the Three Gorges Dam by the Yangtze which provides energy for about 20 million people and its capacity is so massive that the amount of water it holds even slows down the Earth's rotation Aside from the most well-known, China has thousands upon thousands of hydroelectric dams on pretty much every major river in the country In fact, China has more dams than any other country in the world, and more importantly, a big fraction of those are large-scale dams, which have huge impacts on the environment and the people. Let me give you an idea of the scale of the industry. So there are in total about 98,000 dams in the country, which is roughly the same as the US, which has 90,000. However, when it comes to the number of large-scale dams, China has 24,000 of them, and that makes up for about half of the world's total. China is indeed doing it for the benefit of the people, giving access to energy and electricity, improving people's lives, lifting people out of poverty, and importantly, guaranteeing better air and water quality. Hydropower is seen as a better solution for producing clean energy, but constructing these dams also come with significant after effects such as massive relocation of people and destruction of natural treasures, etc. According to the Chinese Bureau of Statistics, 30 years ago, there were 55,000 rivers in China, and today, more than half of them have disappeared, and many of the remaining are left heavily contaminated. This is no doubt a result of human activities, and building hydropower stations is one of them. The Yangtze River was no exception, It has deteriorated over time from being overused for hydropower, agriculture, and industrialization. Although there are many ministries and government groups that are responsible for some parts of the oversight of the rivers, such as the Ministry of Water Resources and the Ministry of Environmental Protection, some parts of the river basins are also managed by the state's forestry administration. So there's a lot of jurisdictional overlap and conflict It's basically like playing hot potato when it comes to tackling water pollution. So China has been trying to streamline these responsibilities for managing and protecting water, and it seems like they may have found a solution. Now in China, every river or lake has one person that has been designated to be responsible for all aspects of that body of water, and they are called river chiefs. And today, there are over 300,000 of them. There are government workers at all different levels, provincial for bigger rivers and town levels for smaller. From water quality to ecological restoration, this person is held accountable for everything that happens to the river. And to ensure that the scheme is effective enough, their job performance depends on it. There are even billboards for most rivers with the person's name, contact information, and QR codes for people to report any violations on the rivers. So it is moving toward a management system that is more integrated and does not have overlapping responsibilities where people just don't take ownership for what is happening. More recently, last March, China rolled out its first river law, the Yangtze River Protection Law. A legislation that included policies such as the 10-year fishing ban prohibition of large-scale development within one kilometer of the river, penalties on illegal transportation of hazardous chemicals and unstandardized discharge water. These efforts are signs that China is on track to achieving its vision for an ecological civilization. Another challenge when it comes to hydropower is the uneven geographical distribution of water resources in China. I had the privilege to discuss about it with Professor Cheng Chun-Tian from Dalian University of Technology, who has been involved in and provided professional support to numerous major hydropower projects in China, including the three gorgeous projects.
1: The biggest challenge for our country is that water resources are not geographically evenly distributed. Hydropower is concentrated in the western regions, southwestern to be specific Electricity use is mainly in the mainland and eastern regions, like the Yangtze Delta and the Pearl River Delta So transmitting electricity from the sending end to the receiving end brings us many obstacles The complexity of the problem is something we've never seen before
0: If we divide a country at the Yangtze River, the country's population is roughly 50-50 in the north and the south but more than 60% of the country's hydropower resources are concentrated in large river basins in the southwestern regions. There's an overcapacity in those regions, and there are many curtailments, meaning that there's a surplus that just doesn't go anywhere because it couldn't be delivered to where it was needed, like the highly populated megacities of eastern China, like Shanghai and Beijing, thousands of kilometers away. It's indeed easier to just simply burn coal, than trying to merge power from renewables with the grid because they can make the grid really unstable if you don't have advanced control systems. This dilemma has led the Chinese government to invest billions of dollars on a west to the east power transmission project to transmit clean energy to the east using ultra high voltage lines. This includes a $3 billion, 1600 kilometer line generating a mind blowing 1 million volts. These high-voltage lines could save the equivalent of more than 50 million tons of CO2 emissions every year. But what we need to do isn't just about improving the grid transmission efficiency.
1: It's about improving our power grid. We brought up this idea called cross-regional hydro, solar and wind integration. This is what's happening right now, especially when with the new energy sector expanding we have strong complementaries between renewable energy sources for example you can have both hydro and wind installed in the same area and with large-scale grid integration when you have excess energy you can spare it to me and when you need energy I'll give some to you this is one technology roadmap and there are a lot of people getting their hands on this right now through technological advances and studying the characteristics and possibility of energy integration in each region as long as grid is powerful enough that can help us with many problems.
0: Another way of ensuring that clean electricity is available when needed is to increase the capacity of storing it.
1: When you further cut down the amount of coal you burn, you need new energy to fill that gap to meet energy demand. The problem we have now is that wind and solar are both very weather dependent. So an idea we suggested is constructing pumped storage hydropower stations in river basins, such as the Yangtze River region.
0: Pumped storage hydropower, it basically pumps water up from a lower to a higher elevation reservoir using excess power when electricity demand is low, and then releases again later to generate electricity when the demand is high.
1: Electricity use is different at different hours throughout the day. Electricity demand usually peaks in the morning from 8 to 12, and in the evening from 7 to around 11 pm when people get home from work. In the midnight at like 1 am, there isn't much electricity use, so at night there is extra thermal and wind electricity which is used to pump the water up. And during the day and evening peak hours, it's then released. It's basically like exchanging one unit of power with one unit of power. Let's say pumping the water up will use one kilowatts per hour of electricity. And that water then generates one kilowatts per hour of electricity later on when it's released.
0: China turned on the Fengning pumped hydropower station last month. It cost a whopping $3 billion to build and has an installed capacity of 36 gigawatts, the largest of its kind in the world. Two reservoirs of more than 40 million cubic meters were built at the top and the bottom of the mountains. It does not only act as a battery, but also stabilizes and regulates the power system.
1: What we do is installing a number of pumped hydropower stations in the hydroelectric basin in the west. These pumped hydropower stations are connected with the conventional power station and along with the grid in the midlands and the east they can facilitate constant power supply There are a lot of technological engineers working on this now and can definitely solve many problems in the future I am pretty confident about it
0: Fengning is expected to be able to supply clean electricity for up to 7 million people every year, cutting more than 1 million tons of CO2 emissions. The Beijing Winter Olympic Games happening right now is actually 100% powered by clean energy provided by Fengning. Recognizing this value, China's policymakers are expanding the country's energy storage capacity. To start, you need to install more of these facilities.
1: Pumped storage hydropower is developing very rapidly right now in China. We have another goal for it. By 2025, the capacity will reach 65 million kilowatts, and to 120 million by 2030. China is putting a huge effort into it, whether it's technology-wise or investment-wise. For a 300,000 kW pumped hydropower station, they'll need about $30 million of investment.
0: At the moment, China has about 30 gigawatts of storage facilities and to achieve the dual carbon goals, that number will double in three years and quadruple in eight years. Developing energy storage is an important step in China's transition from fossil fuels to a renewable energy mix. However, increasing the energy storage capacity isn't quite as simple as investing in the infrastructure itself
1: there are two requirements for building a pump storage power plant water and elevation you need to be able to store water at an elevated height usually at 300 to 500 meters so building a pump storage power plant isn't easy because you have to find an appropriate location for it and it's not something you can get just anywhere
0: there are still many practical challenges meanwhile china is putting huge economic and technological commitments So going back to the ambitious climate targets, the dual carbon goals of peaking Emissions by 2030 and carbon neutrality by 2060, will China achieve them?
1: I think our country will definitely make it. In my own opinion, from what I've seen so far, the Chinese government has done what it has promised. This is one of the reasons for my confidence. Secondly, regarding the dual carbon goals, our country is very serious and practical about it. There is support from many businesses, universities, and scientific institutions, including us.
0: As a developing country, China's CO2 emission level is still growing. However, the rate of that increase has dropped by 60% in the past decade compared to the previous years. New energy will gradually become the mainstay of the new power systems in China. The role of coal will gradually phase out and become a supplementary energy source. China has made massive investments in renewables so far, but the journey doesn't just stop here.
1: We also need to develop new technologies in electrochemistry on a great scale. Because there are a lot of concerns over its economy, safety, and reliability, problems we are still tackling with right now. So when we talk about carbon neutrality, if we are determined enough and to make breakthroughs on large-scale electricity storage technology, carbon neutrality will be a lot easier to achieve for all of us, not just in our own country, but also globally. But this is indeed very challenging. It isn't something we can just solve within a couple of decades.
0: To green our future, we need to work collectively. The journey to a sustainable economy is difficult. But it is possible. Although we are part of the cause, we can also be the part of the solution. Thank you very much for listening to get. Next week, we'll have Zia talking about a new booming renewable industry in China, new energy vehicles. Stay tuned.